Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of SyrupCast. This is a weekly show where we focus on the particular idiosyncrasies of the Canadian mobile market. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Douglas Soltis. Ahoy, ahoy. And this week, we're going to focus primarily on one thing, Android. And that's because Android has been at the front of the news for the past week since Google I.O., and there are a lot of tenets of Android that we can touch on because Google didn't just focus on the smartphone and tablet versions of its ubiquitous OS. They focused on Android for television, Android for the car, and Android for the developing world. Of course, Android is no one thing, but most people know it as the software that they find on their smartphone. So we're going to focus on what Android L, or Lollipop as we, be we believe it to be known, looks like on the Nexus 5. And we'll touch on Android Wear and its two currently or soon to be available smartwatches from LG and Samsung. So let's jump right in. Doug, you saw the keynote. You saw what Google put us through. I was in San Francisco and... Let me tell you, it was very hard to sit still by the end of that keynote. What did you think? <laughs> I know it was very hard for you to sit still for a variety of reasons. For, um, for reasons that will name, that remain nameless. Yes. Um, I, so first of all, welcome back, buddy. Welcome back to Canada. Thank you. Um, and I have, a, I have a, a dark horse candidate, Android Licorice, just throwing it out there. Um, but um, I thought... It was, despite all the complaints amongst tech journalists out there who feel like uh, any anything server related or uh, cloud related is boring and not worth their time, it was it was they they moved through uh, all the announcements that they needed to get through as quickly as possible. So I thought um, I thought they did a fairly good job, but even even still, it was it was overwhelming in the sense of. Just, you know, like we're going to be talking about Android specifically here, but Google is so much bigger than Android. Um, and and Android is becoming so much bigger than what it was even a year ago. So I, I think I think that is the one thing that I took away was just, just how, how hard Google is working to try and encapsulate everything with its software and services. Mm -hmm. Like everything. There's nothing that they're not touching. So let's run through the announcements. So yeah, the big one, obviously, was Android L. And this was the upcoming version, Licorice, Lollipop, Liver, as Ian Hardy, our uh, fearless leader, um, implied. 
L is a completely new direction for, for Google. It's not just a new version of Android. It's a new design language, and that encompasses what they call material design. And this is a very purposeful, colorful, layered uh, doctrine almost that Google has put forth. They've released white papers on it. There's a PDF available that showcases all of the thought behind Matthias Duarte, who's the design lead for Android, uh, Matthias Duarte's vision for Google's Android future. And it involves a lot of elements of Android that are already there. They're already in place, but this just solidifies it. There are elements of the UI that are no longer going to be in your face. For example, uh, the action bar is going to be replaced by uh, what's called the floating action bar, or FAB. And this is a simple button that expands to encompass all the possible actions that you could perform in an app. And some of these have, some of the Google apps have already been updated, like Sheets and Docs and Google Plus, as we've noted already. And this is, it, it also takes color into account. Google has very purposefully added bright, almost neon colors to its palette that were never there in Android. iOS has always been the more colorful OS. It's always been the one that has sort of looked cartoony in a way. And I think without going in the direction of TouchWiz, material design looks to be extremely uh, modern in its thinking. And uh, because most new Android devices have high-resolution screens, it's merely text on color or text on white, and the text is sharp, and the colors are beautiful, and, they're, and, and the applications are layered in such a way that everything makes sense in a real world uh, in a real world feel. So I think that's really the, the main takeaway from here. What did you think of material design? Is, is this something that uh, you know you think Android can can spend the next 10 years living with? Well, I, so I think there, there's a lot of things here. So first of all, I, I think you're right. It is bright and colorful. And it, to be honest, it looks like a lot of uh, the Google services we see on the web um, that they kind of been teasing out and, and toying with and playing with that hadn't quite made it to Android yet. Um, I do think it's it's definitely you're right that this is this is um, if it's the next ten years, I don't know, but it's certainly the new. They're trying to codify uh, a lexicon for user experience and interaction, um, not only across Android, because as we talked about this, and I think on our last podcast or the first podcast, this is this is across iOS, web, everything, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they're they're really trying to change the way. Uh, people think about digital interaction to get away from that kind of first-generation mobile interaction that was like highly skeuomorphic, highly representational, um, icon-based, and just this is like the clean, bright presentation of interactive data. Um, and I think it's it's interesting that the way that they're approaching this is, you know, Google as a as a as a data company. You you think about what you hear, heard with. Um, the amount of uh, iterative testing that they would do with like the Google search engine and links and things like that and how that informed uh, their design. I think a lot of what you're seeing in Android L is is the kind of a product of uh, a similar investigation and approach to, I guess, the, the what, six years that we've had Android now. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think you know, uh, mo the mobile age is much shorter than the average tech age. So maybe this is 
what carries them forward for the next five or six years. But I, I definitely think that they're, they're placing a big enough bet on this to really have it um, touch as, as uh, touch wherever their services are. Yeah, and I think what's interesting here is that what was what was very apparent was that Google is no longer satisfied with creating design for two types of screens. They're no longer satisfied with an Android smartphone design and an Android tablet design because that no longer makes up what the platform's all about. And we'll get to those new announcements in a second. But what they really drove home to developers, and I sat in on a bunch of sessions at I.O., is that they're making it far easier to create beautiful apps. Developers have often had a very hard time creating great-looking apps across all screen sizes in all orientations on Android because, as you know, there are thousands of different Android devices. So what Material Design is meant to do, along with those with the new Android L SDK, is to give developers an easier set of directives, that lexicon that you spoke of, that allows them to create a single app and have it deploy in several different screens. So we're talking 5-inch Android phones and 10-inch Android tablets, but also 10-inch Android auto screens and 50-inch Android TV screens. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit it's a little bit plug-and-play design to a mm -hmm. certain extent. And I think actually, you know, you're just from what you're talking about. I think it was during the, the Android TV part of the keynote where they were talking about really like it doesn't matter what screen you're on anymore. There's going to be essentially one SDK or one visual presentation of all your apps. And now I think that that statement might have been simply in regards to you know just what what constitutes Android TVs. But I think it it expresses their overall approach to this. They're really trying to unify. Every screen, every every interface. Now, whether or not that actually um, works is another thing to be seen. Because I I know from a in it, from a development standpoint, um, Android development was always are always feared because you would look at the the fragmentation of the devices that you would have to support versus the installed base of these devices. So you kind of pick and choose like six or seven devices you actually want uh, an Android app to look good on, and then you would just ignore the others. Um, so if they can get this to work, it's one thing. But I'm, I'm just wondering, as someone that's used uh, Android more heavily as a as a as a user, as, a, as the smartphone user, what your thoughts were on the new interactions they were presenting? Do you think right. that that's compelling? Yeah, I, I do. I think what's what's so interesting, and, and I'm just going to show you here because um, I'm sharing my screen with you. And this is Google's design page, and they've actually made an, a page dedicated to what they call material design, and I'll, I know two things here. One, they're not just focusing on the smartphone. They're focusing on the tablet and the mobile web, or, or sorry, the web itself, which encompasses Chrome OS. And that's one thing that we should note is that Chrome OS isn't going anywhere. But I wanted to read you something here. It, they speak of how mobile precepts are fundamental, but touch, voice, mouse, and keyboard are all first-class input methods. And what they're really trying to say with that is Android is more than just smartphones, and even though there are a, a billion Android devices out there now, they're really pushing the platform to areas that they couldn't, they, they couldn't penetrate before. They, they had Google TV, uh, and they had Android in the car, but they were all hacks. They were all really shoddy and didn't really feel like they were meant to be there. So this is, this is something that I'm excited about. 
what, what's also interesting is that I've loaded the Nexus 5 with Android L Preview, and even though it's not finished, what it, what, what it looks to me is that Android's focused on, on uh, Google's focused on two things. They focus on movement, animation, at 60 mm -hmm. frames a second, things that iOS have been doing for years. And they've also focused on this idea that, you know, flat isn't necessarily meant to be just a, a design. It's meant to be useful. So you know when something is tappable. You know when something... And, and, and iOS did this with, uh, with its sort of textures over the years. But Android's trying to do this while maintaining a flat surface. And as we know from the issues that iOS 7 users had when iOS, when the iPhone 5S came out, or, yeah, iPhone 5S came out, iOS 7, people didn't really know where to tap because there, there were no buttons. It was all just text-based uh, radio buttons. And I think Android is trying to avoid all those issues with material design. Yeah, it, it's not simply uh, an aesthetic. It's a means to convey information. And, you know, just to Apple's credit, I think they're also trying to do that. I think they had to get um, the aesthetic right before you know, making the information kind of dynamic and presentable. We definitely saw that a lot more with iOS 8, but I, I think you're entirely right. So do we, do we want to go through these um, kind of the more hardware-related announcements that we're going to, that, that, that Google kind of went through that we'll be seeing this kind of activity in? Yeah, so the one thing that was really inspiring to me was Android TV because we focused... Uh, over the last couple of years, the living room has become this essential part of any company's toolkit. You know, we have Sony with the PS4, we have Microsoft with the Xbox One, which is an amazingly expansive uh, technology platform that encompasses uh, cable, television, it encompasses uh, apps like, you know, Rogers Anywhere TV is available on it, uh, Apple TV has been ubiquitous for the last few years, and the company is focusing on it. So Android TV is a very interesting product because it focuses on existing apps. And again, material design comes into this. It's easy for developers to adapt their devices or their apps to Android TV. But Sony, Sharp, uh, and Philips are all going to be including Android TV on their future 2015 uh, devices or TVs. And it's also going to be available in a set-top box format. So you're going to be able to spend 100 bucks just like on Apple TV and mm -hmm. buy all these features that uh, Ouya and Mad Cats and all these companies have tr been trying to emulate over the last couple of years. Yeah. So, uh, you, your, your dumb TV can be Android TV enabled, essentially. And what I saw was that apps like Songza, TED TV, Netflix, these are all amazingly optimized for not only your uh, directional pad on your Android smartphone or tablet that will interface with the TV itself, but voice. And that's something that is so essential to Google today. Voice is, it's, is, is, only, is secondary to touch, but only by a short uh, way uh, in, in its, its input methodology. So yeah, and with Android Auto, it's the main input methodology, right, for safety concerns and... Uh, ease of information. So I think the, the, the biggest things here is it's interesting because um, you, you made a great point with uh, something like Xbox One, and like this really is just a set-top box experience that you know if we were talking about this ten years ago into the 2000s or even the late 90s would horrify us as as tech journalists 
just because, as kind of like where you're saying with the hacks, the the power of the technology just wasn't there to provide anything other than a hack. Um, I think that the 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 partnerships uh, with all the with all the OEMs is interesting because um, I think previous to now um, they would have seen what Google is doing as something of a of a threat and they would have tried to build their own solution. But I think OEMs are slowly learning that they're really not. No one wants OEMs to build any sort of service layer. They just want them to build the hardware, and it's it's up to a a service company to really provide the platform that those things run on. And it's, it's interesting to see with just the uh, Android Auto Alliance, I think it's called, yeah. um, as well as just the Android TV partnerships, how these manufacturers are basically conceding that they don't know how to build a compelling user interface, and they're just going to stick to commoditized hardware <laughs> manufacturing. Like, they've just conceded that. Um, well, what's interesting is that Sony, the one company that could potentially create a compelling alternative to Android TV, is not even trying. I mean, they've sort of done it. They, they created a Google TV product that was terrible, and uh, they have their PlayStation OS, which is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. But they understand that's, that Android has so many better uh, service options. You know, they... They have uh, just Google now itself is is a powerful product uh, in the in the sense that it has provides you know voice access to Google's yeah. entire knowledge graph. Oh. oh yeah, of course. And Sony's Sony's in a position right now where they're or not in a position right now where they can really pr- approach that because they're coming off of two decades of failure after trying to create proprietary either hardware or software interactions and. Uh, the fragmentation between the PlayStation division and the rest of Sony as a company is, you know, you know that's it's why like the companies that are winning just happen to be the two biggest companies. Oh, surprise, surprise, Google and mm-hmm. Apple, like because they have the and the most integrated in terms of all their offerings to be able to provide these things. Um, so I, I guess so we, you know, Android L, Android Auto, Android TV. There was uh, there was some more hardware related stuff. Uh, that you actually got to spend some time hands-on with. Yes. So, so talk to me about Android Wear. Yeah, Android Wear, I mean, going using that jumping-off point, the, the, the point of fragmentation, Android has always been known as this fragmented OS. I mean, and, Apple enthusiasts used that as a way to justify buying an iPhone. You know, even a two-, three-year-old iPhone will always be updated. What's so interesting about Android Android Wear is that Google's not allowing manufacturers to modify the software at all. They think that it's too small, too specific, and too reliant on the Android notification experience to be that modular. So what they're doing, and I have a a, a, a Samsung uh, Wear a, a, a Gear Live rather. And this is this is the really interesting uh, before Moto 360 is available. This is really the only interesting Android Wear product. Uh, but you can see here that you you know you scroll through your you can't really see the content, but you scroll through it and it's very smooth. And I think that Google understands that you know you you have uh, one you have one job. You know that that mean you have one job and you. Uh, you want to do it really, really well. So Android Wear, 
yeah, you make the hardware, you make the watch faces, that's fine, but we'll do everything else. And it relies so much on Google now that that's really the important thing. Yeah, and I, I think, so there's, you know, it's, it's interesting, the, the things you're showing, it really touches upon what we've written about before, and Google talking about this, this micro level of engagement, like micro engagements, contextual uh, engagements. Um, do you, so I, I get the reasons why, you know, they're saying, oh, the screen's so small, it's so specific that it doesn't really make sense to, to open this up. Do you also think that they've learned a bit from the early days of Android and what the, some of the OEMs were trying to do in terms of build their own skinned and branded services that just, like, to, like, as a whole, Android users generally hate, um, even if they don't actively pursue the alternative, that, 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 that smartwatches and wearables are so early, uh, at, like, at such an early stage, and not necessarily a, a, a must-have, but a, a nice to have that they're worried that opening that up would would just lead to, you know, tarnishing the Android Wear brand in a way that would hurt them long term. Like, oh, I don't want those Android smartwatches because it's, um, you know, the they they have all this uh, Samsung software on it that just sucks, you know. Right. Like Samsung watch is just the worst. Um, well, I mean, there's already evidence of that on here. So Samsung included a heart rate sensor with the Gear Live, but there, because Google announced Google Fit, which is its own health-related and fitness-related platform, there are two ways on the Gear Live to take your heart rate. It's with Samsung's proprietary heart rate sensor app, and it's with Google Fit. That's already too much. There should never be confusion when it comes to using a smartwatch. And I think that this just shows you that as much as Google tries to lock down the experience, there's always going to be OEM bias there. And Samsung is going to try their best to let you know that this is a Samsung product with Samsung-specific features. But what's great about Android Wear and what I really like about it so far is that it's triage for my notification shade. Android has always had great notifications. Any device with Android 4.3 can use Android Wear. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be, once app developers get on board and create actual experiences rather than you see a notification and then you scroll to the right and it says open on phone. That's what most apps do right now except for the Google apps themselves. Uh, but eventually, developers will create micro experiences on the watch which allow you to respond to your friends, say WhatsApp, for example, if you get a WhatsApp message right now, all you do is you scroll to the right and you say open on phone and you can respond. Eventually, hopefully, WhatsApp and its competitors will allow you to respond using your voice. Google's voice recognition is better than anybody's in the world. And that's what's so compelling about that. It's just going to be people sending yo's back and forth to each other. But uh, but yeah, so as much as um, Samsung is going to try, like we've talked about this before, when when you don't actually own the platform, you're you're just like Samsung continues to not learn the lesson that Sony has learned. <laughs> like, cause Samsung and Sony are like very similar companies at different stages. Um, although you know, one might say that Samsung does a little bit better. But I want to. So you know, I know you're you're geeked about the whole uh, the experiences that are coming. But I want to know right now, why should I be wearing? an Android Wear watch, smartwatch, on my wrist, and which one should I be wearing? Or is there one that's really worth it? Because I think the Moto 360, 
like the the biggest takeaway for me from IO is that the screen is ridiculous for um, a smartwatch. Obviously, we have little information about uh, price or, or how it charges or things like that. Um, and that that's something that I might pay attention to in terms of a smartwatch. But it it really looks like you have like uh, a Tamagotchi wrapped around your wrist. Like I and I don't know if I'm willing to spend two hundred dollars to just not take my phone out of my pocket. Okay, so totally agree with you. Right now, it's in its infancy. What's so interesting is that I've been using a Pebble on iOS for a long time and Android, but on iOS, it's a more complete experience. And I find that using it as triage for notifications is really my only intention. I never want to check into Foursquare or look at. Uh, sports results on my on my wrist. Those are just unless they're given to me. Unless something like Google Now says, "Hey, I noticed that you like to check sports scores a lot. You know, you you want to know if the Raptors won. We're gonna send that notification to you right after the game, and that's it. We're not gonna bother you again." Yeah, and that, I know that's a that's a great use case. But is that a two hundred dollar use case? No, and I don't think it is. But what's so interesting about Android Wear is that. I actually don't think you should buy an Android Wear smartwatch for another six months. I like what I have on my wrist right now, and I think it's interesting. But if it's not, if it's not essential to your workflow, if you're not a busy person that never wants to take his or her phone out of his or her pocket, I don't think that it's a compelling device, especially for the price. So Canadians are going to spend 220 bucks for the Gear Live and 250 bucks for the G Watch. And both of them have some glaring flaws. First of all, the charging methodology is awful. You have to attach adapters, and and you'll lose them on the Gear Live, or you have to carry this bulky thing with you for the G Watch. Uh, where you also, would... I heard, is it is it true that if you turn it off, you have to basically plug it in to turn it back on again? You can't. There's no. That's, that's only with the G Watch because it has no buttons. So that's <laughs> another thing. That some of the design. Uh, some some of the designs here are just uh, they're just not smart at all, and I and I think that uh, you know you really don't want to have to uh, contend with something like this when you make a big purchase. So Samsung learned this the hard way with the first two generations of the of the Gear or the Galaxy Gear and then the Gear Two and Gear Two Neo. But uh, that's you know one area that Samsung has actually learned their lesson. The hardware is quite nice. But you, you know you're dealing with a super AMOLED screen that you're going to want to view in day in in the daylight, and both watches, the G Watch and the Gear Live, just have terrible uh, daylight uh, viewability. So these are yeah. glaring problems that you need from a smartwatch every day. So uh, do you think that these are more price points than actual products yet? And do you think that what Moto is probably doing with like they're they're obvi- it's obviously so much more expensive that they're not willing to talk about it until they they feel like they can say that price and people won't freak out or they can get the numbers down and and I'm assuming that whatever Apple does is going to come in at a higher price because they're gonna they're gonna go for experience first and then put a dollar amount to that experience. Like, do you feel that you know that these early OEMs um, that are trying to the same with like early feature phones that are trying to hit uh, a dollar amount that they they think they can sell hardware for without designing a compelling experience. Like, are these things going to sell? Are they going to be? Are they going to be bundled? Are those Canadians going to spend two hundred twenty dollars for for this experience, or is it just going to be tech journalists talking to each other? So, from what I understand about Android Wear, right now it's a platform play. This is not meant 
to necessarily smell, smell, sell smartwatches. It's meant to, although smell-o-vision on your smartwatch would be kind of interesting. Um, it's meant to basically sell Android as a platform. It's supposed to make Android as a platform more compelling. So obviously, Android Wear only works with Android smartwatch, Android smartphones. This is not going to come to iOS anytime soon. Google has been very deliberate about what services they provide for both Android and iOS. The only one that is really not there is Google Keep, which is also heavily integrated into Android Wear. But what's so interesting is that when iWatch comes out, obviously it's only going to be Apple uh, compatible. So what we see here is Google doubling down on Android as a platform, saying if you want to take advantage of Google Now, which you've invested time in, because obviously you've told it your preferences and you've given it your your favorite sports teams and your favorite stocks and your appointments and everything else that you want, this is an easier way to access Google Now. That is really what it comes down to. Okay. So the so the so the the takeaway from I/O for people uh, not paying attention is that. Uh, the most important thing is Android planted their flag in the smartwatch platform, and the hardware isn't ready yet. So that's okay. So then, um, is there anything else? Uh, do you want to talk about Android One now? Because that's that's another uh, example of Google planting its flag uh, somewhere new. That is just very. I don't want to say crazy, but like. It's aggressive. It's as aggressive as Android Wear is. I guess this is a great way of putting it. I, I heard this right at the beginning of the keynote, and I love Android One. So let me give you an example of something that Google has tackled really directly and has come away very successful with, if, if it works. Android One is a, um, it's an idea that came from, from the reality that most low-cost Android devices are crummy. When you buy a $600 Android phone today, you're getting a pretty great experience. You're getting a really fast processor, a high-resolution screen, and a great camera. With $100 Android phones, which are very common in India, China, and many other developing markets, you're getting a single-core processor with software that's often year, two years, often three years old, and you're getting no updates. Google's um, intentions for Android will never see your screen. So Android One is a direct... As, sorry to interrupt, but as you're, uh, we also need to, to mention you're also getting probably like tons of malware and a lot of security risks with that lack of updates, right? Well, that's that's another part of it. Android is not inherently, uh, it's not inherently vulnerable to malware because if you're downloading apps from the Play Store, you have a very small chance of getting infected with anything. But a lot of these low-cost devices don't have the Play Store installed. They don't want to go through Google's certification process. So you have devices that are using third-party Android Play Store clones, essentially, downloading APKs, sideloading them, which often are infected with Trojan horses to steal your key logs and, and uh, you know, mine your data. And that's really dangerous. And that's really the biggest concern about Android as a, as a platform. And a lot of uh, Google needs to, to, to take the bull by the horns and say, we're taking control of Android security. And they've done this on their, with devices that use Google Play services, but any device that doesn't run Google Play services are inherently vulnerable. So that's, that, that's what Google's tackling here. So they've partnered with three OEMs in India as a trial, and they're going to be launching really great dual SIM, large screen devices with, with dual core processors, good 
decent screens and good cameras for like a hundred bucks that are updated directly from Google. This is a Nexus program for low-cost smartphones and it's amazing. And what it means and what I think, and we'll talk about this later, is that this is a precursor to the much-rumored Android Silver, which is going to replace Nexus smartphones on, uh, on, on Google's uh, Android, kind of homegrown Android play. So we'll get to that right at the end. But A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I think that Android One is a really, really compelling and interesting uh, project by Google. Yeah, and our sister site, Mobile Samosa, is extremely excited about this, I gotta say. <laughs> oh, man, did you register that domain yet? No, but we have to before the podcast goes up. I actually thought right. it's a good idea. Um, but, so, but, you know, we, we were kind of talking before we started recording, which is always a terrible idea, but that, that this could also be a precursor to them testing out uh, or building the infrastructure for what eventually Project Aura will need in terms of providing uh, this experience uh, in emerging markets at, at, a, at a more modular level, which, could, which will be even more uh, rife for potential malware and security issues if, if they're not prepared for, because you're doing it at a, you know, a, a modular level, piece by piece, right? But then right. Um, talk about the, the high-end implications of this type of program, because you know, in, in North America, um, you know, for the mobile syrup readers, like they they want stock, <laughs> they want Nexus devices, um, they want they they want they want a stock experience. They want like play. Yeah, and what we get here is very different to what we get in the U.S. We don't get the Google Play Edition devices, which admittedly aren't updated directly from by Google. But what they are, they're 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 taking uh, stock Android with a couple tweaks and they're updated by their respective OEMs, but they often take far less time to update. So what Android, what Android Silver is rumored to be is a high-end smartphone play that is essentially Android One, but with Samsung, HTC, LG, and Sony. And these are OEMs that are saying, we'll build the hardware and you take care of the software, much like uh, Nexus is today, but without any of those sacrifices. So, you know, Nexus devices may not go away entirely, and we've heard different things about this, but you may not be able to get a Nexus 6 for six for $350, but you may be able to get a Sony Xperia Z3 updated directly by Google for $500. So Google's somewhat, uh, they're, they're subsidizing it somewhat, but not as much as the Nexus program, and not, uh, and not to the same kind of uh, outright price as you would get at a carrier. So they're not yeah. subsidizing the contract price, but they're subsidizing the outright price, kind of like what they've been doing with the Nexus program to date. And that's and actually think, very cool. Yeah, and I think this is another example of the, of the OEMs kind of giving up to a certain extent or, or giving up probably their most annoying customer demographic, which is uh, the demographic that wants their hardware 
and then wants to root the device to put on their own um, <laughs> stock OS. So they're basically just saying, we'll, we'll take the device sale and we'll leave it to you, Google, to deal with the mobile syrup reader contingent of, of people. And we'll sell to the, the general populace that, that doesn't even know that there's a, like, that doesn't e they don't even know it's an Android phone. They have a Samsung phone or an LG phone or, or something like that. And I, 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 you know, it's another example of, I think, uh, Google being smartly aggressive and the OEMs conceding the fact that really people only want them to build hardware. I think you're absolutely right. I think Google knows that Android is not as big a brand name as it should be, and Android Silver is meant to correct that. It's meant to say, I want an Android phone rather than a Galaxy phone, and it'll offer a stock Android experience updated directly by Google, and you won't have any carrier bloatware, and it'll be expensive, but it won't be as expensive as if you buy the Galaxy S5 from Rogers with no plan. And what you still get, even though, and what, what's, what Google understands here is that if you buy a Galaxy S5 from Rogers on a no term, uh, without a term, you're spending $700, but the device isn't unlocked and it isn't free of bloatware. So you're still getting the carrier, bloatware, yeah. the carrier bloatware plus the Samsung bloatware that you don't want and you should be able to get rid of if you spend full price on this device because you are basically admitting that if you want a device on a contract, you should, or Samsung wants you to say, we're, de we're giving you this device on contract, you're going to listen to our, our demands, which are essentially loading it with bloatware. And that's a problem. It's, it's more than a problem, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't talk about contracts this podcast or it will be completely derailed by my uh, deep-seated anger. So, is, okay, is there anything else from I.O. that we want to touch news-wise or do you want to spend a few minutes just talking about, because you were there, right? I, I don't know how many mobile syrup readers know. You were, you were live and in charge uh, bringing, bringing the news, which is something that a lot of other Canadian tech sites uh, wouldn't have the time or the resources to do. So what was, from a, from a ground level... What was like the energy and the response and the conversation like other than the protests? <laughs> <laughs> so there were two protests during the keynote, but uh, they were very Google-centric and dealt with mostly with the fact that Google has taken over many of the bus routes and made it very inconvenient for a lot of transit users in San Francisco because Google has basically used those bus routes. And uh, uh, the other protester was a bit of a... He was a bit of a crackpot accusing Google of building human-killing robots and, and whatnot. But what was so interesting about I.O. this year was that it, it wasn't this bombastic event like it was in 2012 where there were skydivers who used Google Glass for the first time. Last year was also quite exciting, and the keynote also went on too long. But it was this year there was no new hardware other than the Gear Live, which was sort of known but not really. And the Gear Live can't really be said to be new hardware because it's just a Gear 2 Neo with a new software uh, interface. But what was so cool about Google I.O. this year was that the developers loved it. Every single developer I spoke to was so excited to be developing for Android. And it really shows that the company has come so far when it comes to developing not only the tools for uh, uh, creating the tools for developers, but also giving them something to look forward to. Android L is the biggest change since Ice Cream Sandwich, which was is, is almost three years ago now, which uh, when Ice Cream Sandwich was unveiled, and it 
goes to show that Google understands this developer community and it wants to solve the problems that have been so difficult to solve over the last three years. Yeah. So I, well, I was really happy with what I saw. And that's, I think that's 100% accurate because I think one of Google's biggest strengths is its ability to learn and iterate. Um, that it's not going to get everything right right away, but it, it gets there. It understands where it's weak, and then, it, it as you said before, it, it aggressively attacks it. So for all the developers to be so excited, I can completely believe, because you know, for every type of developer that Google touches, there was a major announcement for them. And there was also major announcements for... Uh, developers who are not Google slash Android developers right now, but will be next year because of the of the stakes in the ground that they just planted in new experiences. But um, I think you know we're at a stage in the maturity of mobile where the the most exciting announcements aren't around hardware, and they shouldn't be. They should be around the services that the like the hardware is just the thing that gets you to the thing. Yeah. It's it's this and the services are what really are important. So I I, I get why they spent so much time just announcing, you know, we have a new platform for this, we have a new platform for this, we have a new platform for this, and we're working with these wonderful hardware manufacturers that you that you know and are familiar with to deliver this to you. Um, I'm pretty excited about uh, a, a bunch of the smaller things. So Google Fit has the potential to be really interesting. It's a, similar to Health, uh, Health Kit by Apple. It's a consolidated place where all of your health-related or fitness-related apps will show their data, so Runtastic and uh, many of the you know Canadian startups that have created uh, health-related products will put their data. Uh, but more than that, you know, Google's just having fun. They released their cardboard virtual reality thing, which was kind of weird but kind of cool. Uh, and and you know, from what we found today, Google bought Songza, which we didn't know last week. But that's got huge implications for play music, and the company's not slowing down. So I'm really, I'm really impressed with them. Uh, let's was there, just, just to spin it around. Was there one announcement that Google didn't make that you were expecting, or one area that they you thought they'd get in that they didn't get into, or did they? Because they almost got into everything. So was they, there was there anything missing? They got into everything except Glass and Google Plus, and those were two major areas that weren't really there. They had a and, and before people get crazy on me, they did talk about them in some sessions. There was some glassware stuff. There's a new version of Google Glass firmware available the day after um, the keynote. But what they didn't talk about was what's going to happen to Glass. They haven't really discussed, okay, Glass was introduced in 2012 as a, uh, in, in the same hardware form factor as it is today. And people really dislike that form factor. A lot of people think that it's huge, that it's cumbersome, that it's intrusive, that it's just a strange form factor. There's no doubt that glass is not going anywhere. I mean, the idea behind glass is sound, but they didn't talk about glass enough, and I think that was really telling. The other thing was that Google Plus has really morphed from a social network to a photos platform, and Google Cloud Computing and Google Cloud in general is so powerful Google Plus has not really lived up to its potential. They say that there are hundreds of millions of users, but that's not really true because the number of active daily users is quite low. Yes. Um, so what I love about Google Plus is its photo prowess, and I think that's really what they need to spin off. 
And they didn't talk about that at all. They didn't talk about what they're going to do because inevitably they're going to spin off Google Plus Photos as a separate product because I love Google Plus Photos. Everybody at Google IOE loved Google Plus Photos and that wasn't spoken about at all. So uh, those were two major omissions, but I think by and large they just didn't have time to really touch on them. Well, and also they're not like, so with, with um, I don't think that they talked about Aura or Tango at the keynote level either, but that was, well, that, I guess that's because um, uh, ATAP had its own keynote the next day. Yeah. But then also because these aren't these aren't like announcements of like, hey, this is coming in six months. This is like, hey, this is coming in two years realistically. But to build the infrastructure that this product needs to survive, we have to openly talk about it now and to get your feedback because we're creating entirely new things. So I don't think it's necessarily a worrying sign that there wasn't anything new. It's because you know we've seen what they're ready for us to see right now, and they're they're taking in feedback and then working it's to a point where it will be ready. Well, there were two milestones reached at the ATAP level. One, uh, Aura loaded for the first time, even though it crashed. Ish. It, load. <laughs> it, it loaded ish. And they announced a Project Tango, a consumer level Project Tango device for next year made from by LG, LG yeah. which is so cool because LG's been a part of the Google Nexus program for the last couple of years. And I really think that that's something to look forward to because I got to demo Tango and in its current form, it's pretty limited, but it's awesome. It's so interesting what they're doing with these multiple cameras and sensors. And it's so much more interesting than what Amazon's using it for, which is essentially to peek around walls or virtual walls and to make faster Amazon payments. Shots so, fired. Shots fired. I, I, I like the Amazon Fire Phone, don't get me wrong, but we spoke about this last week. It's really just meant for you to buy Amazon products. Okay, so, so let's, let's move on then. Let's, let's say goodbye to sunny San Francisco and Google I.O. Is there anything else that we want to hit um, maybe a little bit more local? Yeah, you know, this, this week was, uh, was pretty quiet on the carrier front, but one announcement was, was pretty controversial and got a lot of comments in our, on the website, and that was that Bell will begin to charge $4.95 for SIM cards. Now, you know, this has been an entirely not Canada-focused uh, podcast so far, but happy Canada Day! your carriers are going to charge you more. So as of tomorrow, July 3rd, uh, you will have to pay $4.95 for a new SIM card, and that's not that's including when you upgrade your phone uh, or when you um, need a new SIM card for a specific reason. Usually, Bell had been, you know, up till now, Bell had basically been giving you one with the purchase of a new phone. Uh, this does not apply to business or prepaid users, but all postpaid users, which makes up the vast majority of Bell, of the Bell client base will be affected. So this sucks. And a lot of commenters are like, whatever, it's $4.95. But again, when you're spending $300 or $200 on a phone and 100 bucks a month on a, on a plan, that's an extra 5 bucks that you don't need to spend. Did they give did they give any justified reason? For, or is just like, we can just charge $5 for this, so why not? Well, I don't know. A lot of people in the comments were saying that uh, Bell is trying to migrate their user base to the NFC and secure... NFC-capable SIM cards, which allow mobile payments, and it's a precursor to them rolling out this big Rogers competitor. Rogers rolled out SureTap sure Wallet. Uh, Bell's going to be launching a similar product in the next couple of months. So, yeah, they want to migrate their user base, but if they really want to foster adoption and foster it quickly, they would be giving these SIM cards away for free. Yeah, so put one in the mail. 
that's that's a really great way. Say, hey, yeah. here's the new SIM card. Here's all that it does. We love you, Bell. No, yeah, I... call call us to activate it. We'll be we'll be your friend forever. You know, heart you by. Like this is it's just it's. I'm not saying that that it's unprecedented because it's not, but it's and and who knows maybe Rogers and Telus will follow suit, but it's just another way that Canadians are not going to think highly of their carriers and yeah, again, it's another it's another opportunity for a carrier to build a relationship with its customer and and whiff just because it doesn't care about building the relationship. Uh, I had I had a very interesting breakfast meeting with a former Rogers employee. Uh, today, and they were just talking about how the, the the corporate culture internally is was one of where they almost didn't seem to like their customers, <laughs> like that they were so they were a hindrance to be overcome rather than um, the reason why they were in business. But we I, we can't go too far into this because it just my blood boils. But um, the it's... the the real thing. So mobile syrup readers probably already know this, but if you really don't want to pay five dollars for a SIM card, just make friends with whoever you're person is at the store level, you there are ways to get around a variety of these charges. Yeah. Like, or call in and get them to refund your your the cost. I mean, really most CSRs are able to refund you the or credit you the five dollars that you would have spent in store. So you know these are all options. But again, it's just one more thing that Canadians can complain about when it comes to their carriers. Uh, Let's let's move on to BlackBerry. This is the third week that we've had this podcast and the third week that we've spoken about BlackBerry. But this week we got to see the BlackBerry Passport on video. Uh, we didn't get to see a lot, but it was enough to show us that this is a Mongo device. It's very wide, <laughs> and it is going to be quite unruly. Even John Chen admits that this is quite an unruly product. So let's talk about the Passport for a moment. What, what are your impressions? A uh, Mongo device. I like the sound of that. That, that That's marketing right there. Um, yeah, all of our conversations about BlackBerry are mandated by the CRTC. I think we should just disclosure. Um, I, okay, so seeing it in video, it doesn't look any less weird, but it I can see how it can be used. Like it, it does. It visually, it still looks so crazy, especially the, you know some some of the videos and the the photos, the comparison between uh, current basically slate screen smartphones. Mm-hmm. When when they're side by side, you're just like, I can't believe that that's that that's a thing that exists. But I can actually see a little bit of a use case now. Um, and BlackBerry also, in addition to like in addition to some of the videos coming out, seeing it used had um, posted on its corporate blog and then pulled it for some reason talking about some of the uh, capabilities of the, the keyboard. So basically allowing for capacitive touch in the, on the keyboard in a way that uh, your screen has so that you can be navigating um, on a screen without actually you know, losing any screen visibility because your you know, fat thumbs are in the way like mine. Right. So... That's interesting because what we've seen of the passport is that it has no numbers, it has no alternate symbols, and these symbols and numbers will actually show up on the screen when you're touching the keyboard, but the keyboard will still be tactile. It will still provide that feedback that BlackBerry users love. So is it the best of both worlds, or is it a compromise? And really, that's what the Q10 was all about. This is a device that uh, appeals to... uh, smartphone lovers that want a keyboard but also want a WebKit-enabled browser 
and app support and all that. And I have to say that I loaded Instagram. So my mom has a BlackBerry Q10 and I loaded Instagram on 10.2.1 for her. I downloaded the APK from a website. I installed it, no side loading necessary. It was just one click install and it works. It actually really works. I mean, the screen resolution is too low for it to, to see the entire, uh, what, what you would see on a widescreen Android phone but it was actually quite usable and I found it to be eye-opening that it's that the transition to the Amazon App Store with 10.3 is actually going to be pretty okay. No, it's a really smart move. And we talked about this I think last week, you know, like that experience of downloading an app is or Instagram uh, from the Amazon App Store is going to be much better when Instagram can just uh, support that device case with a with a checkbox rather than you downloading an APK from a website. Right. Um, I, I, I think it's I think it's really great. But it, going back to the compromise, I think you know when you talk about mobile design, in in a lot of ways it's it's about compromises and it's about the the choices that you make in, in leveraging. I think you know generally I think both you and I would agree that Apple does a really great job of knowing when to compromise and knowing what choices to make. Um, I think you and I are both really excited about um, the potential for Windows Phone and some of the the choices that have been made there, but the execution hasn't worked out. I think BlackBerry has had a, a recent history of when it tries to go from for compromise. You know, like we you look at its its uh, its first touch uh, screen device that it ever made, which was actually a clickable touch screen. And then you look at what they try to do with BlackBerry 10, an all-touch experience, and what they're doing now. They don't actually really have a good track record of doing compromise in, in a way that the, uh, the sum is better than the parts. But I'll, I'll say what I said last week on, on the podcast is that I'm very interested in giving Passport a try. Um, and I would say that after seeing the video, I'm more interested now uh, than I was a week ago. But totally Mongo. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. I, I think that it'll be an interesting product that will go uh, as far as BlackBerry's corporate customers, but no further. Um, and and I, I did mention last week that I think it will be uh, that it'll appeal to teenagers, but um, I got a lot of feedback on that actually. And, and what I what I learned is that most teenagers don't care about, BlackBerry so much as they want the keyboard and they want BBM, uh, but those two things are less important today than they were uh, two, you know, a year ago, two years ago. So we'll see. I mean, I'm happy to be wrong about that, but uh, we'll see about that. Uh, another, you know, let's let's move on because one device is launching in Canada in the coming weeks that will be a competitor to some of the biggest devices on the market today. The Galaxy S5, the HTC One M8, and the uh, iPhone 5S, and that's the LG G3. Now we brought you some coverage of that when we went down to New York uh, in May for this, but it's only coming to market this month. Uh, it's rumored to launch on T-Mobile, or it's coming to T-Mobile on, on July 16th, and it'll probably arrive in Canada around the same time. Uh, you've seen a few photos of this 5.5-inch uh, 2K device. Well, what do you think about it? Eh? I, don't, I don't know. Like, so I just 
I guess the question is like, what do you think about just kind of LG devices in general? Because I've never been a huge fan of, like I, you know, as much as we're talking about like design interaction and blah, 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 blah like aesthetics matter. And I've, I've never looked at an LG device and said, I want that device. And I didn't really feel that way with the G3 either. Hmm. But you seem way more excited about it. Like, I guess if, I, if in terms of like the Android kind of ecosystem, if I was to go with hardware, I would, I'm like more of a HTC guy. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I think that uh, HTC did a really great job with the 1M8, and I think it's still the best looking Android device. The yeah. G3 is so sell me sell me on the G3. Hit me hit oh. me with hit me with the deets. What like so? So we're getting. What I've seen about the G3 is is this. It's that it takes every good thing about the G2 and improves on it, which includes the camera, optical image stabilization, screen is stunningly beautiful, uh, battery life is supposed to be great, and this software, which was really the major uh, sticking point with the G2, has been substantially improved. But then there are elements of the G3 software experience that also don't quite translate to the Canadian market from what I've seen. Uh, there's a lot of unique-ish features that, like Samsung, take some Android, like, like Google created Android features and clone them, but not entirely. So they sort of, uh, they duplicate functionality, but it's still not better than what Google offers you inherently. And because Google has this, um, has this certification program, OEMs are not allowed to eliminate functionality like Google Now. So you have this uh, competitor to Google Now that will apparently show you notifications about what your phone's doing and what uh, you should you know, be focusing on, like calendar events and whatnot. But it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it's not better than Google Now. Yeah, I and also now that Google's also broken out a lot of their, the core services of Android into individual apps, updates for those Google services that these OEMs are trying to replace happen much quicker in the Google ecosystem than something LG is providing. Sure. So that's another thing that it's a spot on LG's record. They have the slowest update schedule for any OEM at all. I mean, except for Huawei. And I've done the research. They are the worst. And they took a long time to bring the G2 from 4.1 or 4.2 to... Actually, I think it launched with 4.1 to 4.4. The G Flex is still on 4.2. So... The Canadian market is just awash in older LG devices that will never get updated. But more than that, the G3 is a hardware play. The software is secondary because uh, it's just kind of a flatter version of what you found on the G2, and it's no longer it no longer has that weird menu button. But uh, I think that LG does a great job. That menu button. That 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 menu button was was so stupid because it was basically what Samsung did with its hardware menu button, but emulated on software. But LG didn't take into account that most software developers account for Samsung uh, with its hardware button, but not LG's software buttons. Anyway, what happened was some apps wouldn't recognize the menu button that LG put virtual, and you were stuck with not being able to access the secondary menu in a lot of apps. So like, LG just, they were lazy. They didn't take it into account. That being said, the G3 is, I think, a beautiful product. It's actually very well made. It feels a lot better in the hand than the G2, than even the Samsung Galaxy S5. The bezels are minimal at, uh, at most. They're, they're just non-existent at best. Uh, the camera looks to be one of the best on Android 
in general. So you have a lot of compelling reasons to buy the G3 over the over the S5, and a lot a, a fewer gimmicks like the heart rate sensor and the the fingerprint scanner that uh, are interesting on paper but don't really work that well in practice. So I'm looking forward to trying it, and I think that a lot of the reviewers who have done reviews on the G3 have had the Korean version, which is not optimized for the North American market. So I'm looking forward to trying the carrier-optimized Canadian version to see what speeds we get, what battery life we get, and what sort of photos we can take uh, with its 13-megapixel camera. Okay. So well, now, while we're still just talking hardware, there's, is there any other hardware that you've been uh, able to get hands-on with or play with that's, that is worth mentioning or directing people to one of your recent posts and videos? Oh, I just want to talk about the Moto 360 for a second because it is so pretty. It is so pretty. And even though some people have come out and said, oh, it's actually 320 because there's a part of the portion of the screen on the bottom that's cut off due to the sensors and um, the uh, light, the ambient light sensor and, and a few of the touchscreen, uh, the digitizer. It's such a pretty device, and it's really a smartwatch second and a watch first, and that's what I love. I love that it, it, it's a beautiful watch that I would be happy to wear anywhere. Uh, the fact that it would show me my notifications is, is just a bonus, and I think that's really what the Android Wear platform should eventually be. And that's what I hope it will become, is that less utilitarian watches from Samsung and LG and more beautiful design plays by Motorola, Fossil, hopefully eventually companies like Breitling and Omega. I mean, that's just a, a moon, you know, so it, a it, becomes, it becomes that luxury lifestyle item rather than uh, low-end uh, kind of clutched together tech. I, I don't, I, I think, yeah, I don't, want, I don't want the smartwatch to be a commodity in, in a year. I don't want it. I don't want Ace, like we heard that Asus is coming out with a $99 Android Wear watch. I don't want that. That's that's going to last for six hours. It's going to look crappy. It's going to feel crappy. I don't want that. Nobody wants to wear that all day on their wrist. Yeah. So and there, well, and also nobody wants really anything that's only being made because you have the parts, you can put them together and put, get them in stores. Like if it's if you're literally just making it because you have the parts lying around, and there's not a real use case or compelling kind of like, like you know, we talked about how much we like Motorola bef before, but man, they're really trying to, like, they have a design identity. They're trying to get a specific experience for you with the products that they make, and it shows. Mm -hmm. um, all, you know, all that is to say that I think when Apple drops whatever they're dropping, the expectations will completely change. Uh, as we've been talking about this, I, and I don't know if, if I should mention it or just tease out, I don't even think it's going to be an iWatch. I oh, think you've heard it here first. Do. Yes, you heard it here first. Apple's not releasing an iWatch. I think it's actually going to be an iPod. I uh, think they've been selling less and less iPods as as that has been kind of been taken away by the iPhone. But I think they're going to try and put give you an iPod on your wrist. I, I think you're wrong, but I think that it's an interesting idea. And uh, I, I also I think that the what? Nano... Sorry? Which is why I'm only going to talk about it right now in a podcast rather than writing it down. So if it comes true, I look like a genius. And if it doesn't, <laughs> no one will remember this podcast episode. Hopefully. Yeah, episode three. Just forget it. Um, all right. Well, you, uh, I, I disagree, but I, I'm, I'm willing to hear your arguments perhaps next week uh, as we draw closer to that uh, 
September October release date from Apple. So uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap up. This has been another lengthy podcast with a lot of really juicy bits. And uh, I want to thank you as always for joining me. This is uh, my pleasure. And uh, thank you for listening. If you have been listening uh, with your earbuds or if you've been watching the Hangout itself, hopefully the video is available. The last couple of weeks we've had some issues. But uh, thank you again for making the Syrupcast the best Canadian podcast in the world. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, post a comment, uh, give us feedback, write a review on iTunes. It's a really big deal. Uh, let us know what you want to see, and we'll keep giving it to you. All right. That's, uh, that's all, folks. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.